amazing. We're the weird sisters. We're the weird sisters. We're the weird sisters. And this is Mercury 211. Mercury 211. Bitch. Yes, the gray cross. The grand basement. <laughs> so describe the environment that we're in right now. Um, right. sexual, musical, creative, and you can actually have shows here. So get in touch with us if you want to do that. Ooh. We'll uh, yeah. give you more info. Yeah, you have freedom. You plug your shit. What is your What is your Instagram? Your Facebook? All that shit. We are at under the at the <laughs> underscore weird sisters. 
But on Inst on Facebook we're something different. That was our Instagram handle. Yeah, I think it's like Facebook.com. I don't honestly know. Who who fucking cares? It's social media. But it matters. <laughs> it does matter. It matters so much. It's not even funny. Isaac, somewhere on the album you should put that weird sister's hotline, like your voice. Oh, your my voice, voice man. You reached you the weird it, sister's hotline, baby. Leave put it a at message the end of the album. after the beep. I, on, the, on the last song. Because he doesn't answer his phone. You know, that's not a bad idea. I think there's enough people in this world that are annoyed by that, they might think it's cute. I think it's cute, and I'm annoyed by it every day. I know, my boss is a little freaked out by it when I don't answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're. Well, yeah, you, you you got to hustle. That's that's the uh, that's the point behind well, it. Well, speaking of the hustle, so the whole reason the three of us are sitting here, right, is because like I met you on Instagram. Yeah. Together. On Instagram. I met you. Well, you you rather met me. You commented on the saxophone playing, and I said I'd do it anytime you wanted. And then we met up at uh, Bad Bad Not Good at Accident. Yes. And was Isaac the was there too, yes. and we all became instant, very good friends. Yes. And then we started recording together at Blackbird. Yes, for a video that we're going to be filming soon. Um, at I'm Graycroft looking, here. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it too. I hope people come out, and I hope it's a, a fun experience for everybody. People will come out. We're going to have a keg. That oh, will be yeah. the keg event. Absolutely. And we'll have uh, a lot of Jack Daniels. Sauerkraut. Maybe definitely, some, definitely sauerkraut. Maybe some uh, midget strippers, if I can find the right friends. Kabasi. Kabasi for sure. For sure. We can always make the right friends. I, I, With Kabasi, anything's that. possible. I'll do it for you. <laughs> Friendship. Yeah, baby. Your basement is cool as fuck. Well. Thank you. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was not an easily one thing, this house. I, so I found this house on hot pads. I was searching for houses. I was looking hard. I was in an apartment. I wasn't happy. And this house was about the 10th house I saw, maybe. And my roommate was in New York. He never saw the house, and we hadn't met. So I scoped it out, but Isaac came with me the first time we saw it. And we just immediately were... We wanted to put a studio in the basement. Yeah. It just seemed like the space. The basement was pretty ratty. We had to do a lot of work. We had oh, to insulate yeah. it. And the, the, the homeowners, they live in North Carolina. And our, our landlord was, was pretty excited that we wanted to do they anything. They live in Maryland, they, actually. Oh, they do? Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> just saying. A little further west, but... Uh... Yeah, they were really excited that we um, wanted to put any work into it. And, Isaac uh, put a toilet in here. Yeah, I put a toilet so, in here. Yeah. As a venue, the space is great because, like, we have the studio right here, but then over to the right, we have that huge room with the bar, a full bar, that we want to put mini fridges under so we can store alcohol and then have, like, a concession stand there. And then also, the whole area is full of couches and chairs and places where people lounge get a, a and pool lights. Table. We, we definitely want a pool and a ping pong if we can. Eventually. I mean, I want this basement to be just chill central. Like, people will come over here. Like, we'll have, like, maybe on a Saturday, um, I don't know, just kind of at a certain time, it opens officially, like, on, on Facebook, and people in the group know they can just come by and hang out and just play games and drink and smoke and have a good time. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, that would definitely be a lot awesome. of recording. Definitely a lot of recording in the future. 
I'd like yeah. to. I would like to start producing. Have 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 some bands come in. Start producing. You you've already well, produced so, five six albums. Yeah, yeah, but I'd like to produce um, you know, maybe some other people that aren't aren't us. Yeah, it'll be fun. B yeah. Bands who want to come by and and do that are welcome. You know, we got the space. Who's your favorite producer, Isaac? Or who are some of your favorite producers? I don't even know. Like, pr pr producing is a strange role. I'm really more into the engineering side of that. Um, so I don't know if I can answer who's my favorite producer. But as far as engineering goes, um, Eddie Kramer. Certainly, just because... Um, not even just who he worked with, because his that list goes on forever. But... His production style, like as far as the, the, his engineering, is insane. His his mixes are like the almost when you're listening to like Electric Ladyland, for instance, with a with a pair of headphones or physical graffiti or something like that. Um, it, it, there's, it's more of like a, it's an atmosphere that he creates. Um, you know, just by simple means of panning and compression and stuff. It, it's it's endlessly fascinating to me because not th of course there's other engineers and there's so many wonderful engineers now but he was the uh, really the first to do that in such a creative way to, to use um, recording technology so creatively I think as a part of the song yeah yeah it was very much part of the song it's not you know I, I think there's a lot of standard things that engineers tend to do well, his mixes are also masterful. Yeah, it's 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 part of the work of art. It's like he has his own artistic touch to it. Well, he's able to he's able to make every single instrument sound like it's alone, but also completely in sync and tandem with all of the others. And that's really what I think mastery is when you're an engineer is when you're able to make everything have a voice, but also blend well. It's like being a conductor. Like you have an entire orchestra, and how do you make all the parts? speak but also be in the correct level and, and how make all the parts listen to especially as a conductor it's an interesting role well yeah because you know they all they have is their music in front of them their one line and i have you know all of their parts so my job is to kind of be a guide like we're on a tour right okay so at this point you know the flutes are the most important here so everyone needs to just kind of back off a little bit and listen to them until we get to measure 83 when the violins come in and that's when the line continues so make sure it doesn't break. Just stuff like that. Just making sure everything is flowing. When did you first start learning those skills? Uh, well, really as a pianist um, in high school, just learning like Beethoven and Bach and Mozart and cutting my teeth on that stuff. Just learning how music works and how all the lines function and interact. Um, conducting, I started around 21, 22. And that's kind of how I really learned and started to develop the ear. Because when you conduct, you're not playing, you're just listening. Because everyone else is playing. And your job is to make sure that what you're seeing on the page uh, sounds how it should sound. At least in your opinion, based on the information you have. From the composer on the page and what you know. It's a a skill set all in itself. 
Oh, definitely. And, like, I'm by no means an expert. I am not even close to being an expert. I learned what I needed to learn to do what I want. And I'm happy with that. And I'm also, like, super grateful that if I ever have a question or a problem, I can get in touch with one of my teachers and... You went to info. you went to music music school, right? Yeah, I went to Michigan for my undergrad at the the conservatory at the university. So I studied music theory, especially like eighteenth century counterpoint, like how Bach composed. Cause I'm I really love Bach. He's my favorite. You're the real deal, man. How was <laughs> music school? Was it rough? Yeah, very. Did it break your spirit a few times? No, it it broke it big twice. Like, my first year I transferred schools after that. So the first year I didn't even touch the piano for six months because I was so beaten down. I was told that I could never amount to anything and that I was like a, a savant. Those were the exact words used by my teacher. <laughs> She said, I could only, you can only play, like, these three songs amazingly and nothing else. It was pretty sad. I was 18. Was it true? No. Definitely not. I mean, I was only playing those three songs because she wanted to beat them into the ground. There were millions of other songs I wanted to play. Not millions, but... Yeah. You know, like, because you, you, you go there and, with the expectation that you're going to learn a lot, right? And then you start going to, to, to learn and, uh... You know, she wants to stay on the same thing for about a month when you want to be moving on week to week, learning more Beethoven, learning more sonatas, learning more Chopin. But, so then I transferred, and, and then it was it was different, kind of hard, because I had a different teacher that was, you know, you always have someone um, who really wants to challenge you, and that's great, but then you have the ones that want to beat you down. And for me, that's that wasn't how I wanted to learn, so... I don't mind being pizza. <laughs> well, it's good to a degree, but getting beat down and also getting abused for a certain amount of time, like a year or more, yeah. it can be hard on you, especially, you know, as an artist, because then self-doubt starts to creep in and you feel like you aren't really worthy, you shouldn't be doing it, and you question everything. At least that's what happened to me. You can't, unless your mind is free and clear at you can't make music, or at least I feel like I can't make music. If my mind is super cluttered, if I have a lot of my mind, a lot of things I'm, I'm overthinking, if I'm just overthinking all the time. It's hard to focus. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, not just, like, jamming and making music and writing and also studying. Like, if you want to study a score, you can't be, you can't have a cloudy mind. you got to be very... I mean, the best hours for that are, are like 10 to 2, according to my teacher. It's like, study from 10 to 2 every day. Hmm. Can't do that when you have a full-time job, but... I get up in the mornings. I try, I try to. Most of the time I do get actually get up. I get up at like 6 a.m. and I'll practice for an hour, at least. That's great, because you're first in the morning, you have a little coffee. Yeah. Good sit morning, down yeah. oh my god I miss that I miss sitting down and just tackling some music like just learning a Bach fugue just dissecting it's, it's all about building power too yeah start off start off slow and just push it a little further each time I really enjoy the meditation of practicing mm -hmm. I get a lot out of it how do you practice 
Uh, right now, I'm breaking my practice down into three parts. The first part is uh, theory and technique. The second part is reading. And then the third part is gen rep. What's, the, what's that? Like general uh, repertoire. Oh, okay, so... <laughs> repertoire! General repertoire, so you sit down and you... What learn. might come in a jam, like what he might have to play in a jam. Song, like songs, right? Like yeah. The riffs that might come up. Yeah, yeah, or uh, yeah. just learning songs in general. You know, I, uh, I've i been working on like a couple of Steely Dan tunes and an Elvis song and stuff like that, trying to make chord charts for it and that, yeah. uh, like number system charts. But that's its own language. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't really, I've never really done that. <laughs> I was looking through, uh, some, I had this manuscript paper, and I was meeting with somebody on Sunday, an amazing violin player, and we were working on a piece that he wrote, and I looked through my manuscript paper, and I had all this crazy stuff that I've done in the past, and it's so funny when you look back at your past work. I mean, Isaac, you certainly understand what I mean. You oh, have, yeah. You have, I mean, thousands of songs that, that you still have that are, are pending, and yeah. I imagine looking up back on that, it was just crazy to you to think that all that output is there. That's how I felt when I looked at that book. Yeah. Um... Yeah, crazy, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. And even just looking back, um, it passed stuff. Like I look at the difference between you know when I when like I, then and now. My, my my first release even until yeah. until now what we're doing and it's it's yeah. funny to hear the comparison, but it, it's uh, some of it. You know, I, I'm I'm proud of how it sounds and everything, but sometimes you can hear, like I personally, I can cringe from it. Sometimes just because I, I hear the difference, it's like oh, I, I just just from my own naivety or something like that. But but that own that that type of cluelessness really has its own vibe. So I can still really appreciate it. I think I think you know that's only my opinion, but I think other people might too. It's it's weird to hear the difference between how far you've come. And it's really a document of um, a journey. It is, and for of me, craftsmanship. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it's more like I look at the manuscript and see what I wrote, and now what I do isn't that. Like, I'm not writing into, you know, pencil on paper. I'm writing into the air and, like, into sound, and it's all being recorded, and it's a different medium, and it's so fascinating. That's probably abstract for you still. Oh, my yeah. God. It never won't be because it's just, I mean, my goodness like staring so many years at a score and just like hearing the sound based on the black dots on the page versus like playing in real time and coming up coming up with stuff that way everything's so impermanent yet it is permanent because it's recorded yeah well i mean it, if you think about it, like a score or something that's how they would have to record it you know there's no way to capture audio so you got to capture the way of course not the because audio. because back then i mean we don't have recordings until the 20th century um we have some towards the very end of the 19th but i mean we don't have recordings certainly of beethoven or uh, of mozart or bach like we can only speculate that's why like in the classical world, it's so stupid. They, they, they get on, on their high horses about interpretation and articulation. Like, if you're going to play Bach on the modern piano, 
<laughs> and not the harpsichord. You have to make sure that's all. You don't use the damper pedal ever. There can't be any sustain. And your articulation must be short. No, I'm going to use the damper pedal and I'm going to articulate however I want because that is how the music speaks to me. Yeah, the interpretation. Exactly. That, that's what I like about sight reading, is if you give a piece of music to nine different musicians, they're going to each play it nine different ways. Well, not just sight reading, but just learning it in general. Like, if you give... So that's like famous piano... So I'm saying piano over and over because that's what I play. Like... Beethoven, you give the same piece to eight different pianists, they're all going to interpret it differently. And it's interesting because, like, the instructions in the score, like, tempo markings, like, the speed of how it should go, or, like, expression, like, molto agitato, that means, like, um, very agitated. But that doesn't tell you how fast it should go. You have to figure out how fast you should go in relation to the other sections of the piece. To me, that's so cool. So like the beginning is molto largo, that means very slow. But then very slow goes to molto agitato, which is agitated. So we're going from slow to agitated. How do we make that, how do we pace it? How do we get the music to get to that next point where it's going to be not too fast, not too slow, but sound right and also, like, agitated? It's so interesting. Like, that's in a score, but when we jam together, we're doing all that in real time without a score. Yeah, the jams have been... So cool. The jams have been cool. The legendary New Year's Eve jam. So what night that was? <laughs> that was a seven-hour jam. Yeah. Um, people told me it was New Year's when they showed me their phones and it was midnight and I didn't Yeah, we were still care. playing. I was still was, playing. Well, that's the idea. You gotta jam we into were, the New Year. We were into it. We were, like, deep into it. We were deep into it. It was, I mean, we recorded it. Um, honestly, we can put part of it onto this. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll find, like, the highlights. And <laughs> the highlight reel of six hours. Highlights of, uh, New Year's 2017. The well, end of a terrible year. <laughs> we, we sat, we sat there for, like, uh, an hour long or however long it was. An hour? Remember when we listened back to it? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's, that, was it's, that was and that was the last really movement of the jam, which was yeah. We the, listened to the last the section. The rest of it was like so long. Yeah, the, I mean, like the, several that one hours. Was probably hour and a half. The last one was yeah. an hour and a half that we of listened to. Of us just to. straight playing. Just straight yeah, playing. Yeah, well, the, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. We I went mean, through a lot of movements. And we had so many players come in and leave and like come in. Like we had some guitar players sit in. We had couple different drummers, we had a singer, we had a, of course, violin, Al, played, like, the whole time. Yeah. Al is phenomenal. He was phenomenal. Good lord, he's who I met on Sunday, we're working on one of his pieces now. Oh, really? It's called Folia, it's like a Baroque thing, and he wants to add piano, and we might, like, make it freaky and put some synth in it, I don't know. You know what, you gotta, you, you gotta find joy in whatever you do. Even if it's, like, a job that you hate, because if you yeah. don't, you will not be able to be happy. you got to no. at least be positive. You can't be You can't be so stubborn to think that your job, you can just treat it any way you want it because you're a musician. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's you have to a have really ethic. good point. You should expand on that a little bit. Well, I think it's really important to have a sense of work 
ethic doing this and trying to treat it as a job and uh, I can't remember what I said. You were saying that um, just because you're a musician you shouldn't treat your day job like you don't care. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta care about it. Mm -hmm. You can't just, uh, it, that, that, you're letting yourself slip in one area of your life and you're gonna slip in other areas. It's yes. a sl like a, a slope. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> you know what? What you just said is so true and like, I've been excelling at work because I, well, number one, I actually... I just don't like to be really shitty at anything. And if someone's paying me, I'm not going to do a bad job. Yeah. You know, that. what kind of a shitty person is going to get paid and do a bad job? Like, no one. Yeah. I hope. You don't want to not be a team player. <laughs> like, you got to just do a good job and, like, do good work. Be accurate and shit and whatever. Respect. So, you know, feeling that way and then you come home at the end of the day and some days, like, you're really tired. You don't do anything. But some days, like, tonight, you feel really good and you play music with your friends and hang out and... And have a few beers and just, like, have a good night. <laughs> and jam. Jam. Hell yeah. Great jams, by the way, Taylor. Yeah, Taylor, you're you're a really, really great person to play with. Thank you. I enjoy our... Very solid bass player. I enjoy what we do. I like your new bass. How, do you, how does it feel? It feels, uh, it feels pretty good. Um, it's uh, a quick neck. Yeah. We put those flat wilds on them earlier. So I change the strings on them. It really sings differently. It's well, it sings more than a P bass does. A P bass is all about the groove, but this bass can really sing. It's vocal. No, see, it's a it's a difference between a Gibson and a Fender always. Yeah. I so I played my Stratocaster for a very very long time, but um, it's just something you can do. That, well, that that it's just a big difference between having. A Gibson in your hand and a Fender. I think that that would probably be the same for the bass too. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you can just on it on that SG. I can just get these notes. They go on and on and on and on, and you just can't get that kind of like saturation with a. a Fender is very thin. It's a it's meticulous. And meticulous then, diva. Yeah. <laughs> Gibson is, uh, their instruments sound darker. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of Satan. Yeah. In there, and there's there's a little bit, like, I don't know, it's a different kind of Satan that's inside of the, uh, the Fender. You know, you have, like, a more, I don't know, it's the difference between, like, you know, rock and dirt, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That that's a perfect primal way to describe it. I don't know, but it feels primal. It's very definitely very primal sound. It's very primal to express yourself on something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the toilet flushing in the distance. Yeah. Uh, do you do you ever try any other brands besides Gibson or Fender? Um, honestly, I've. Uh, I don't know, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I, I don't think that I've really been in a position where I've, I've played anything else. Like, I, I, once I bought my Les Paul, <laughs> once I bought my Les Paul, that, that was, that was kind of it. Like, I got a Strat after that, and I had both sounds. 
Yeah. And then, and, and then it was like, well, you know, um, I think that the next guitar I bought after that one maybe was like an acoustic guitar or something. And, uh, you know, I had a double neck SG for a second, too. That was the dumbest, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my entire life. That's you a, had a double neck SG? I have a fucking double neck SG. <laughs> you told me about that. Okay, what color so, was it? Oh, like, you know, Jimmy Page, Red, whatever that is. Cherry. <laughs> yeah, the Cherry, the, the Cherry SG, which is kind of like, I'm kind of sick and like, I'm really glad my SG, like, you know, if I'd have picked up any guitar and it played that well, I'd have bought it. I'm just glad that, you know, I, that's like the barbecue potato chip color. It's like more orange. I, I like the finish on it. It makes me think, like, different thoughts. But that double neck SG was just the craziest thing. I was 12 years old, and I was working. You had a, a double... No, like no, no. SG when you were 12 years old? No, no, yeah, well, bear in mind, I was, um, he was an Epiphone, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I had saved up all this money, okay, so I bought that, that, um, that Stratocaster, it was 175 bucks on Craigslist, I was stoked, but I was getting really into the Eagles and Led Zeppelin, and I just thought that Double Neck SG was just like, you know, best thing since onions, baby, and I... I just worked so hard on it, just doing anything I could after school and in between, just like trying to hustle up some cash for it. And um, it, it, I, I was into the Dublin SG, but I was saving up for an actual SG. I had found this Gibson um, faded ebony, had the three humbuckers. I mean, it was it was a sexy, sexy guitar. And um, I was saving up the extra sixty, seventy bucks to buy the uh, the Bigsby. I wanted to do it all at once, have them put the Bigsby on it for me. And, um... This is elaborate for a 12-year-old. Oh, dude, I went deep. I went so deep at 12. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I knew what I wanted. I knew the sound that I wanted. And, um, I, that was... I, that seemed like a really, you know, that would have been the, the prudent thing. And it would have been the, the, the best thing to do at that point in time. But I walked into the shop with the cash in hand, big water money. And, you know, at 12, I felt like a man. And I walk in there, and what I see is this double neck Epiphone SG. Man, what did I just get done doing is learning every single note to stare right at heaven. And I was like, that, let's go. And, you know, I was with my dad and, and my mom, and they were like, you know, you've been saving up for this for a long time. Are you crazy? I was like, no, this is it. This is the, this is the key to the, the, the next part of my sound. And I walk out there with double neck SG. I remember oh playing it God, all night. That's hilarious. I, 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 I took a picture of it um, with, a, with a Polaroid. I took it to school, and um, I was like, I was so happy, like, you know, and they, every, like, everybody like, fucking hated me, and it was like, I was just, I was just a kid, just running around the floor, like, look at my badass guitar, I remember, I, took, I, I showed my science teacher and everything, and it was like, oh yeah, don't make it, and it was, it was funny, because I took the picture, and I like, cut off the headstock, so like, you didn't know if it was a Gibson, like, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was just bullshit You're master. being ambiguous. Ambiguous as fuck, and, um... <laughs> Anyway, I got I got so t it was only twenty frets on it, so I really couldn't get those um, high notes. And especially at that point, I was very you know deeply influenced and moved by the um, blues. And uh, Clapton was um, really rocking my world at that time too, as well as Jimmy Page. And getting those high notes, those extra two frets, really matter for for some of the, some of that stuff. And I was like, realizing that I couldn't play anything. I was like, oh god, I got to get rid of this thing. So I throw it on eBay. Ain't nobody wants this. No, no, I, I see those things for sale all the time. People get them and they, they, they realize they don't want them and nobody will buy them. I had it on Craigslist for months and months and months. Finally, I took it back to the place, um, Victor Prey up at the Guitar Gallery in Canonsburg. And he's a legend. I mean, he's one of the 
he's an expert on all things vintage Gibsons, Les Pauls, and, you know, he has a couple bursts. He's the burst guy. Like, every, he, he's been buying and selling them neck and neck with George Gruen since the beginning of time. And, um, yeah, I took him up there, and he, he liked me. Oh, he favored me, man, because I bought, I bought everything from him. He's just such a, he's a wonderful guy. And he's like, listen, I wanted to trade it on drum set. I was like, let me just get a drum set out of this. He had a drum shop upstairs. And he's like, no, but I was like, okay, what can you do on an amp? And he's like, well, come in here. I was like, well, you got any low wattage tube amps? That's what I was looking for. I was looking to get that, that blues breaker sound. Well, Marshall would just come out with this um, class five, five wide. It was, it was, it was modeled after that, you know, that, that blues breaker, that, you know, that 45 watt thing like that. Um, you know, so it was Clapton's Rock in My World, so I was really into that Beano album, what, uh, John Mayall Blues Breakers, and Hide Away, trying to figure out every note of that. And that tone is just so unachievable with um, what I was playing through at the time, which was uh, like a solid state Marshall that I bought, which that amp right there. It has two preamps, but it's um, it you can't you know, you can't get the sound of real tube amp, especially not like a like a blues breaker kind of tone, and Marshall just put out that five wide. It was it was modeled after a blues breaker, so I traded him in on that. It was a thousand bucks for the guitar. I got a three hundred, four hundred dollar amp, but I've been using that Marshall Class Five for everything since then. So I'm 22 now. I've been using that amp for 10 years. I put tubes in it a handful of times. I run it hot, but with that cabinet, it's the thickest sound in the world. I finally got my SG though, I guess. <laughs> yeah, your SG's nice. Thank you, thank you. I I, I love that guitar. Like and that. your Les Paul, very <laughs> nice. <laughs> so your birthday will have just happened when this podcast airs. Yes, I will be twenty-seven years old. Twenty-seven years old, and you're releasing a single yes. called Mercury Two Eleven. A coincidence. Actually, indeed, it was a complete coincidence because we were gonna release it like a week ago, and then I said, "No, oh my God, Two Eleven." Two eleven. Yeah, two on one. Can't believe how long it took us to figure that out. It's actually a little pathetic because this song's been brewing for a minute. But you know what? It is my birthday, and uh, I'm excited. I'm very happy to be twenty-seven. I'm not depressed. I don't. I'm happy to be growing older. It feels good. Like I know. Yeah. It's, I know what's going on. I feel more confident in like my decisions and my opinions and myself. It's it's definitely. I'm just. It's a year for that. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel it. I this don't is, miss the early twenties. Like I don't understand why women and people mourn. Like why am I getting older? My youth, like fuck the youth. The youth is like I'm still young, but I'm so much. Mistakes. I'm so much smarter now than yeah. I was. I'm happier. I'm smarter, and I still look good. I'm not fucking old. Like it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's fine. Everything's good. That's hilarious. I like you. You're all right. Well, for the uh, for the outro of this podcast, we're gonna play uh, a hit song you wrote. A hit song I wrote? Yeah. <laughs> the one you played me earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. Camber in the morning. Camber is um, our uh, our neighbor. She lives on the other side of um, our house. It's a duplex. She has the uh, the mother in law suite. In a lot of ways, she is like our cosmic mother in law. <laughs> and, and I, I went over there the other night. We 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 had we had a hang, and uh, she played me this video. She said, "I woke up in the morning and I, I had these edibles, 
and I just decided to look in the camera and just say everything I was thinking about. And it was a 15 minute long video, we sat there and we giggled, we watched the whole thing, and it's funny. I said, man, you should really put this on YouTube and keep doing this every day. And um, we, we talked about it a little bit, and then uh, I said, listen, I'm going to make you a theme song. So I, I come down here, you know, 25 minutes later, half hour, whatever it takes me to get it tracked and mixed and mastered or whatever. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I sent it to her. And she called me, she's like, this is amazing. That's, you know, she put it on YouTube and everything. So it was cool. I was, I was glad that I was able to help, you know, even if she only does the one. Like, it was, it was a really creative thing. And uh, she had some interesting things to say on it. It was, it, was very, it was a very positive thing, too. It was, like, it was all around just a cool thing. I'm glad that I was able to help her, you know. Shout out, to, shout out to Camber. Way. Shout out to Camber. Yeah, she's at uh, Camber Designs on Instagram. Very cool. Yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Taylor. You're the man. See you Saturday, Taylor. Yes, see you Saturday. Happy birthday. See you in my bed, bitch. <laughs> see you in my bed. <laughs>